0: Hello, Partial Lab listeners. I'm Rifki, the producer for Partial Lab. Here to give you a heads up that this week the audio quality isn't quite as sharp as we generally prefer. We're sorry about that, but it should still be clear enough to listen to. So enjoy the episode.
1: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Parsha Lab. I am Emu Shalev.
0: I am Rabbi David Foreman.
1: And this week's Parsha is Parshat Terumah. This traditionally on alisbetta.org is when we see a major decline in viewership. For some reason, people don't seem all that interested in reading the long list of instructions the Torah gives us on how to build an ark. I'm flabbergasted as to why Rabbi Foreman, what do you think the reason is?
0: Uh, I really have no idea. Arcs actually seem like the uh, most fascinating part of the Torah, at least for me.
1: Yes, and so for amazing Parsha videos on Truma, please make sure to check out Alefana.org. But that's not why you're here. You're here to hear something new on Parsha Truma with us. So without further ado, let's jump in. Okay, so Parsha Truma um, begins not really with sort of the reason why God is saying necessarily, I, I would like a mikdash. It begins with, you know, hey, ask everybody for truma, uh, they should donate these sorts of things. You know, which you could argue is the reason for the the Mikdash, right? Please create for me a sanctuary and I will dwell amongst you. So God seems to want to dwell amongst us. But then the very next thing that happens is we get the IKEA instructions for how to build an Aaron. and there are a couple of interesting uh, words that keep popping up that I wanted to, to bring up with you. So if you come with me, um, chapter 25, verse 16, in the instructions of the Aaron, v'natata el ha'aron et ha'idut asher etein Please put into the ark the testimony that I am going to give to you or by forming, what is, what's the testimony?
0: Seems to be the actual tablets of the Ten Commandments themselves.
1: Then come with me again now to verse 21. natata et ha-kaporet al ha-aron et Right? So again, we get this repetition of putting the edut um, into the aron. So God is saying when you, you put the ark cover on the ark, you should put the testimony into the ark. And then here's the interesting verse. I'm going to meet you there, and I'm going to speak to you on top of this covering of the ark, in between the two kruvim, asher al aron ha'edut that is upon the ark of testimony, et All these things I will I'll give you in a commandment to to bnei So. So a couple of of things that I'm noticing here is the the uh, Mishkan itself is seeming to be established all around this ark. This ark is seems to be the centerpiece. It's the beginning. It's the very first cle we hear about, and that the ark itself is meant to house Edut uh, testimony. So much so that the ark is called the Aron HaEdut, the the Ark of Testimony, and Later on, throughout the Torah, we're, we're, we, we're told that the Mishkan itself is called Mishkan Ha'idut. Uh, and the Luchot are referred to as Luchot Ha'idut. So I want to ask you two questions. One is, why is, you know, what, what is this idea of testimony? Why are the Luchot referred to as Luchot Ha'idut? What are they testifying to? And why is that testimony seemingly so important that it's at the center of the Mishkan, so, so much so that the Mishkan sometimes is referred to as the, the Mishkan, the Tabernacle of Testimony. And I want to ask you one more sub-question. Back in that verse 22, do you see any resonance in the Noadati right I'm going to meet you there. But in that word, Noadati, right, is, is the word aid uh, or testimony. And the, we know all over that the Mishkan is more commonly referred to as Ohel Moed Right, the tent of meeting, but again, in that word, is, is there testimony there? I'm seeing these themes, not sure what to make of them. Wanted to hear from you.
0: Okay, yes, that is indeed fascinating. The word adity" there, and I will meet you or I will join up with you, um, clearly is a play off of the word edut, which appears over and over again. You pointed out that we have the word edut as testimony several times, and then all of a sudden this word adity," which is very similar. The letters are actually the same as edut. So it's clear that it's connected. It reminds me, Imu, of a um, of a similar kind of thing that you have in the Garden of Eden story with the word for nakedness, right? You have nakedness appearing over and over and over again. And the word for nakedness is arom, and the man and woman were naked, and they weren't ashamed, and then they were naked, and they were ashamed, and there's all sorts of nakedness. But right after we hear that Adam and Eve were, were naked, and they were not and they were not ashamed, shneim hayu aromim below yitboshashu, Where else do we get the word arum right after that? But we are introduced to our friend?
1: The snake who is arom.
0: But it doesn't mean nakedness there. What does it mean?
1: It means clever. He's clever. He's a wily snake.
0: Exactly. So the question is, why would the Torah describe, use a word which it uses over and over again to mean nakedness, why would it use that word to describe the snake and now use the word to mean something else, which is crafty, wily. If you even think about crafty and wily, it's actually connected to nakedness. It's not like a different idea. It's not like apples and Cadillacs. They're connected. They're like opposites of each other, right? Because uh, if you're if you're open and what you see is what you get, is that that's what nakedness is. And then when you're crafty, you hide your, your real intention. So why would the Torah use this word to mean nakedness, 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 and all of a sudden use the same word, arome, but in an opposite sense? So it strikes me that this is something the Torah does now and then. It's a kind of surprise tactic. And, and my feeling of of sort of how to treat this when the Torah does this is it's, it's creating an intentional surprise for the reader. It's like it, the Torah is conditioning you to think nakedness, nakedness, nakedness. All of a sudden, surprise, crafty. And and the idea is, is that if you think about what it does to you sort of subconsciously, as you read a text and you hear a word and you expect it to mean something, but it actually means something else, is there's a part of your brain that's thinking it's supposed to mean A, even as you translate it as B, such that when you hear about this snake, even though the snake is crafty, there's a part of your brain thinking, but one second, in some sense, is he also naked, Right, there's like the the meanings blend, Um, and and I think that's kind of what's going on here. I'll give you one more example. Have a
1: a, a naked snake.
0: Ah, so what would it mean to have a naked snake, right? So it would mean that even though this snake is crafty and even though he's wily, that's only true from one perspective. But from another perspective, the snake is actually what you see is what you get. The snake is naked. Now, if you actually think about the snake and snake being naked. Actually, physically speaking, a snake is sort of the most naked of all animals in the sense that it doesn't have fur, right? It's just it's literally like its skin, snake skin. But even deeper than that, I think, and, and this is an argument I make in the book The Beast that Crouches at the Door, um available which at
1: Amazon.com.
0: And at Alephbeta.org. Um the, and what the snake is at some level is tricky when viewed from a certain perspective. But when viewed from another perspective, very open, very what you see is what you get, very naked, as it were. Really, this is Samson Raphael Hirsch's view of the snake, which is that the snake is faithfully representing to you what it means to be an animal. And the argument it's making is an animalistic argument, which from the perspective of man, mankind, that's not an animal, it's a tricky argument, but from the perspective of the snake is just, I'm done just telling you what it's like to be a snake. I'm very open and upfront, very naked, very transparent. So I wonder if something like that is happening over here um which is that same sort of methodology as work which is that here you have this idea of testimony 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 that's what the ark is about that's what the 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 mishkan is about and then all of a sudden the torah throws you for a loop gives you that same idea and says i'm going to be meeting up with you and somehow that word for meeting up has overtones of of testimony and they they blur together and the question is how do these things uh fit how does meeting and testimony uh, sort of how does it go together? And I think that sort of goes to your second question. I'll, I mean, maybe I'll just sort of ask you what you think about it, but it really gets to the that sort of very troubling and, and intriguing question, which is why is testimony so important? Like if you would... Think about the 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 tablets of, uh, and just these are tablets of X, and you have to describe the Ten Commandments. Like, how do you describe them? It's like if you imagine if you play like Family Feud with with the tablets of X, and you had to ask me like, give me one word for the tablets of X. Emu, let's play Family Feud. Imagine the Torah wasn't talking about this, and you got the Ten Commandments tablets of Emu. Uh,
1: I I mean, there's there's Briss the tablets of. Covenant.
0: Yeah, tablets of the covenant that's a great idea 31 our service has 31 tablets of law bing 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 our service has 59 you're the winner right there tablets of the law tablets of the commands tablets of all sorts I of won. things it's i like,
1: never win anything i
0: know i know i know that's why you do these podcasts because you can win sometimes and i any, love it and, And here you've got these tablets, and they're not tablets of the law, and they're not tablets of the covenant. They're tablets of testimony. It's like our survey says six, like six people says tablets of testimony. It's just not very popular. But the Torah over and over again is going to call them tablets of testimony, and somehow that's connected to meeting. What's the testimony? What's this all about? So I'm basically just taking your question, Emu, and directing it back at you. Uh, any ideas? I have to say, that
1: was masterful. I feel like you made it your own. Um, I think the place I would go to start thinking about this would probably be um, to consider why are the luchot, called luchot ha'idut, to what are they testifying? Actually, um, you
0: know, that's a really, let's, let's talk about that. Luchot, you're looking at these tablets. Give me some, what are you feeling? You look at these things, what do they seem like to you? What are the, What is their visual impression that you get looking upon these tablets? What are they tablets of
1: I mean there's tablets of stone,
0: yes, isn't that interesting? Tablets of stone of all things that they that are written on with what
1: oh, the hand of God
0: yeah, do you see like there's this disconnect almost like the most ethereal being in the world is God, the most spiritual being in the world, and the most concrete physical, unmovable thing in the world stone. Granite, You know, whatever this is. And somehow these two things have come together. And I wonder, you know, if on some level, that's the meeting point, so to speak, between meeting and testimony. Testimony about meeting. When the hand of God meets stone. If you think about the whole challenge of the the Revelation experience, that was the challenge. Think about that challenge. Why is it that the golden calf of all things, this just terrible awful sin that almost gets us completely wiped out should happen of all moments at the greatest moment of of revelation itself why why fall so far at this great moment of revelation why are the people so worried why are they standing back from the mountain moses tries to coax them and says guys don't worry about it. it's gonna be okay but the people are no 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 you go do this like what's the issue here the issue is that what is happening is completely unbelievable. There is a being in the heaven, the being beyond space and time, the being that you can't touch, that you can't feel, who's master of the universe, who created the Milky Way with its hundred billion stars, created the Andromeda galaxy, and now is coming into the world And is actually interacting with human beings limited by space and time and our flimsy little bodies. And somehow that's supposed to actually work. Like that can happen without us all dying. It's the most awesome, scary experience in the world. And it seems like it shouldn't happen. And we're desperate for it to happen. And yet we feel like we can't do it. So stand back, far away. Give me a calf. The calf will do it. The calf will make the connection to me. Something, anything but me. And Moses says, no, 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 you guys can all listen. You guys listen. And Moses, no, you, you talk to God. We'll stand back. You tell us what he said. And as Moses is coming down the mountain, he comes down with something that testifies to meeting, testifies that this thing actually worked, that there's the hand of God on tablets of stone that Moses was able to actually connect with God on that mountain. And, and if you actually, if I can take you to the end of this section, because if you think about this section of text, this section of, of, of the Bible, you have Truma, which is the story of the Mishkan, going all the way through Parsha Truma, Parsha Tzava, the beginning of Kitisa. Flip with me for a second to where this section ends. In other words, the moment when Moshe actually gets... What it is that God says he's going to give him. Because look at that verse that you just wrote. Let's just read it again. You're going to put in the ark the luhot ha'edut that I will give you. Well, when does Moses actually get them? He gets them at the end of this section, right? 30. I think it's like 31. Can you come with me to 31 for a second?
1: Sure. Parsha Qutisa.
0: Right. So this is where it ends. What happens? Look at thirty-one, verse eighteen. So after this whole long speech about the Mishkan, God gave Moshe what he said he was going to give him to him. Sinai, Shne these two tablets of testimony, Luchot Evan, Luchot of Stone. But stone, again, contrast to Vimbet's Balokim, written so to speak, with the finger of God the the meeting of stone of this world with the finger of god right these tablets are proof that this really happened and moses comes down with them and it, it strikes me as kind of interesting that there's this whole section of mishkan followed by this little section of Shabbos. If you look right over here, verses 12 to to 17, God is saying, oh, by the way, keep Shabbos, keep Shabbos, keep Shabbos. And then God gives Moses these tablets of stone. You know, one of the things we talked about in some of our Parsha videos is there's a commonality between Mishkan and Shabbat. And the commonality is, right, that they're both sort of meeting places, places in which man encounters God. One of them is a special place in space, and the other is a special place in time. The special place in space we call the Mishkan. The special place in time we call the Sabbath. And it's almost as if God is saying, hey, Moses, we had a great time up here on the mountain. This was an incredible moment of connection between the master of the universe and humankind. But you were the only one who experienced it but it doesn't have to be that way. We can bring others into the equation too. I want you to come down, and the last things that I'm telling you about is that you've got to build something. You've got to build a mishkan, you've got to build a tabernacle, a special place in space, and you've got to build a special place in time called Sabbath. And you can bring everyone into that encounter. And it's all about what? It's about Moed. It's about Vano Aditi. It's about coming together and meeting. And if they tell you it's impossible, if they tell you there's no way that man can encounter God, your experience is the proof of it. These tablets show that it happened. They testify that meeting between the divine and human is possible and happens. And for generations, the ark and the stones within it are a testimony to the possibility of meeting.
1: So let me see if I understand how you put it. It sounds like what you're saying then is the core root of the Sinai experience or of these Lukhol that are written by the hand of God is that they. They testified to our connection with God. They testified to God wanting to meet with us. Um and that was the the time where he did. That was the time where he talked to us. And and that this is what he said to us when he met us. Um and it is now uh ensconced in that impermanence and, and through beautiful symbols. So when we met with God the first time, he talked to us, and now uh the the, the testimony of that, right, the reminder of that forever is his hand on our earthly stone, yeah, um, and that and that gets ensconced in in a special place that is going to be at the center of our camp, a mishkan haedut, which is going to do two things. It's going to serve as a place of perpetual connection for us, and it is going to remind us constantly of that connection, or remind us of that maybe that first meeting.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you think about it in these terms, there's so many ways in which the connection between man and God seems impossible. You know, the way I put it before is in terms of, you know, physics. Uh, how does a being outside of space and time come into space and time? But that's only one of the ways. Even think about law itself. You know, what's written on these tablets of testimony, these very human laws that really apply only to humans, right? Don't murder, keep the sabbath, uh, don't commit adultery, don't covet. All these like very human things. And If you'd imagine sort of as a skeptic, you might imagine, okay, so like if I think of the master of the universe, he's got all sorts of things on his mind and he's like way beyond what it's like to be human. And one of the skeptical things that you could imagine in sort of arguing that an encounter between man and God might be impossible is like who says our minds can connect? Who says the mind of God connects to the mind of man? Like, why would God even be concerned about the life of man? The vastness of God seems like a chasm too wide that could you really translate God's will into this world? If you think about it almost as a mathematician, as a physicist, I remember reading a book by, I think it was Paul Davies, a physicist in Australia, I think it was called The Mind of God. And one of the things he argues in the book is that one of the deepest mysteries of mathematics is that the universe is mathematically comprehensible, that it's hard to figure out the math, but the math is at the level that a human mind could understand it. And the fact that the universe is understandable, it's almost like that connecting point between the mind of God and the mind of man, that we can reach out with our minds and somehow connect to this sort of mathematical beauty, which is the soul of of, of physical creation. And, and that exists not just in mathematics, it exists in the social realm, in the judicial realm, in the law that we bring down. There is a will of God that is meaningful, that's actually godly, that translates into the world of man. And when you think of that, that that's ensconced in law in these tablets, that's kind of mind-blowing.
1: Yeah. I think for me, you know, a takeaway of all of this is is to consider the fact that um you can make a big deal about Ohal Moed emotionally, right? What it must have been like for a people to uh center their city, to center their camp around uh a place of meeting. And it's a place of very obvious meeting, I think, right? The cloud would come down and that's pretty miraculous. It's pretty crazy to know, oh what what what's that? Oh that that's God's house. God God and Moshe, they're talking right now. Um, how, how emotionally and spiritually stirring that must have been. Um, but then there's the testimony side of it, right? The, the testimony side of it, to me, feels like it's answering um, a human failing, which is our tendency to forget, uh, our tendency to deny realities. And testimony is something very powerful because it tries to help remind us of what the reality is. And, or another way of saying it is testimony makes it impossible to deny the truth of a reality. So Mm -hmm. when you bring those two concepts together of testimony and meeting, right? On the one hand, there's the closeness. I want to be close to God. I want to be close to you. I want to, I want to meet you. On the other hand, and it's apt that you brought up the golden calf. um, Sometimes we, we don't, we don't want to uh, align ourselves with that reality. Sometimes that's too much for us. Sometimes we're scared of it. And sometimes we want to enjoy our lives without the commitment of that closeness and the testimony the eidos, the, the, the presence of that ark, the presence of that Mishkan at the center of the camp draws you back in uh, and sort of demands, demands that one take that reality uh, for what it is. Thankfully, it's not a scary reality. The reality is we're close, we're meeting, but it is reality.
0: It's a beautiful way to think about it, that that it's like this lofty goal that seems almost impossible, this notion of meeting between mankind and God. And at the same time, the emblem of that meeting is an emblem that such meeting is possible as a constant reminder and that as a kind of beckoning to mankind that don't shirk away from this, don't shirk away from this. Even though you live in this physical world and it is easy to think the divine is up there and not down here, this is true, this is true, this is true, and engage that truth i think it's a it's a powerful way of putting it almost as if the possibility of meeting like there's a part of your emotionally that's beckon towards meeting with God. I want to love God. I want to love God and be part of them. And then there's this other part, which is I'm scared of God. I'm scared of God. I'm scared of God. I want to pull away. And against the, I'm scared of God. I'm scared of God. I'm scared of God. I want to pull away. There's this testimony, testimony, testimony that's saying, no, this is true. This can really happen. This is, right? And engage this. This is a reality. It's here in your world and it's here for you. And you can't run away from reality. And God is there to be engaged. And it's it's not a fantasy. It's not something that you can you can pawn off to uh to your imagination um engage in, in this this is as real as as the stone that you can touch uh these letters that are written with the with the finger of god
1: all right rabbi foreman i want to thank you so much for potting with me this week for those of you who are interested rabbi foreman and i actually continue the conversation you know today we don't have a Mishkan, um, and. Uh, I think that the ideas here are really emotionally resonant and makes you kind of sad that we don't have a Mishkan. So, I ask Rabbi Foreman how we can possibly relate to these ideas uh, today without a Mishkan. If you want to hear that, make sure to sign on to AlephBeta.org, it's for subscribers only. Uh, if you're not yet a subscriber, it's a great way to support this podcast and the work that Rabbi Foreman and I do uh, at AlephBeta.org, teaching Torah, making awesome Torah videos, there's the rest of this podcast and hundreds of other amazing animated videos. I'm sure you'll love to see them. And if you're already here at the end of this podcast, please make sure to rate, review, share with friends, and send feedback because we're always interested in reading it. All right, morning on trade feedback throughout the week. We love reading what you guys write to us. So please do. Thanks for listening. See you later.